Okay. Welcome. What's up? How y'all doing today? Yeah, we awake. There's coffee there in the back if you need it, um, just in case. And we might have to get some energy drinks for y'all this morning, this, a- this afternoon. I don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? No, it's real. It's real. Y'all, I said what's up, and y'all didn't say anything. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, all jokes aside, it is good to be here with you today. You know, and this is a special day because immediately after service, uh, we're going to go to this building that uh, the Lord, uh, it seems that he's providing for us. We've been praying for a long time for a location. And if you know anything about uh, Lancaster City, it's just gridlocked with property where, you know, either it's unaffordable or there's no, no space at all in the city. <clears throat> right? But God... <laughs> Uh, he's, it seems as if he's making a way for us. And so I'm really excited to see, uh, what this is going to mean for us. And, you know, um, there's still a couple of challenges we still have, um, when it comes to the building, but you know, I look at what the Lord did with the basket and a couple of fish and a couple of loaves in it, you know, he can do anything he wants to do. And so we're small. Some people are saying, yeah, but we're still a small church. And I agree, but we serve a big God, you know. And so we're, we're just moving forward in faith. And trust me, I'm, I wish I could tell you I'm that faithful man of God who just trusts the Lord always and all that. I've been struggling in the last two weeks because I'm like, can this be true? And how can we do this? Or how... And then I just finally broke and said, Lord, you're sovereign and you're in control. And it's sad that it takes a lot of time and a lot of whackness from our part to get to that point of remembering who God is. Um, And so I'm just thankful to the Lord that regardless of what happens, this is we're his church and he's he's the great shepherd. So I'm doing all right right now. John chapter 18, verses 19 through 27 is our text today. Uh, So if you want to turn there with us, John chapter 18, verses 19 through 27 is our text. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And it begins in verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he has said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of of the man, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster 
probe. This is the word of the Lord. And to God be the glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is life and bread to our soul. We pray, God, that you would um, be glorified in the preaching, but Lord, even also in the listening. You will quicken our hearts. God, will you help me not to look at man, but to look to you, to be faithful to your word. God, would you stir worship in my heart, that even if I'm the only one worshiping today, so be it. And God, do the same with everyone's heart here today, not to look to the left or to the right, but to look up, to look to you. So Lord, we have come to again be stirred in our hearts, for our affections to be stirred for you. We desire you, Lord, and we need you. We need you now more than ever. We always need you, Lord. So, Lord, would you help us today to be alert to your word, and will you help me today, God, to just worship you in the preaching of your word. We love you and we thank you, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So as we do every time, we go through what we covered last time in the Gospel of John, which is chapter 18, verses 12 through 18, and we looked at Jesus being bound and denied. He was bound, which meant that they tied him up and arrested him, uh, and them being the band of soldiers. They also had their captain there, the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They came because Judas led them there, which fulfilled what Jesus said he would do, which is actually what Jesus, uh, Judas was prophesied to do, which was to betray Jesus. They led Jesus first to Annas. We see this in verse 13 of John 18, who was the father-in-law of the current high priest called Caiaphas. The writer pointed out in verse 14 that Caiaphas had said something about Jesus, which we unpack in John chapter 11, where Caiaphas actually prophesied correctly about his death. Caiaphas advised the Jews that it would be good for them that Jesus would die because he thought it would distract Rome from taking them away from their place of influence and also to preserve them from the ruin that they saw Rome actually wanting to do. And so though mixed with some self-preservation in this high priest in the statement that he made in John chapter 11, verse 15, he, you know, we read that Caiaphas did not say this on his own accord. In other words, what he said about Jesus didn't come from him. We talked about how an unregenerate high priest was able to prophesy correctly and how this proved that correct prophecy is not a stamp of approval on someone's ministry. And the reason why I talked about that, because it's actually in the text, this high priest who called himself really a worshiper plotted to kill Jesus. We see this in Matthew 26, 3 to 5. And then when Jesus said what he said about himself, he tore his robe, claiming that Jesus committed blasphemy. This man was not a saved man, yet he prophesied correctly about Jesus. And this, again, is a good reminder for us, especially those of us who came out of a word of faith, charismatic, uh, you know, experience, that correct prophecy is not a stamp of approval on someone's ministry. Very important. God can use whoever he wants. This really captured for us how blind everyone was, being that a high priest, you would think, would recognize God. He was 
here was the Messiah that was promised to come, and yet they plotted to kill him. He was the king, but instead was treated as a criminal. He was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the whole world, and yet they settled for the blood of animals. Here was the sacrifice needed to atone for their sin forever, but they instead chose to settle for offerings that could not permanently take away their sin. It's amazing to see that they were bound in their own sin while binding him. It's backwards. We asked the question how people can be so blind, but also we remember, if you remember the text we covered, that we also noted that apart from saving faith, one is left to their blindness and hardness of heart. Peter, however, was shown who Jesus was, which is very interesting. Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Peter, of course, like he always does, he jumped ahead of them and said, you know, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter saw what Judas, the band of soldiers, the captain, the officers, and the Jews, the Pharisees could not see. It was revealed to him by the Father that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But you know what Jesus told Peter after that? You're going to deny me. And you're going to do it three times. And we see that actually happen. He covered it. John 18, 16 through 18 says, But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. That's not me. So what happened, Peter, to you are the Christ, the son of the living God? What we saw here is that a love for Jesus was tested with the love for self-preservation, which Jesus addressed already in all four gospel accounts. Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But Jesus knew better. He loved them still and prayed for them, knowing that they would leave him. He loved them even as he loves us. And we asked the question, do we love him? This passage showed us that one can still wrestle with fear, even when shown that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And I believe we've made mistakes, right? We've made the mistake of saying or not saying things we should have said about Jesus Christ. Maybe fear gripped our heart, maybe embarrassment. But thanks be to God that he continues to love us in spite of us. See, our passage today continues here where Jesus is questioned by Annas, and also what happens again is that Peter denies Jesus. He denies knowing him. So our outline, again, only has two points today. Jesus' question is the first, verses 19 through 24, and then second, Jesus denied again, verses 25 through 27. Jesus' question, verses 19 through 24, Jesus denied again, verses 25 through 27. In verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And notice that Annas is called the high priest. And, you know, this is not contradicting the fact that Caiaphas is the high priest. They maintained their title even after the, they left the office. It's no different than calling a former president president. 
We have Annas here questioning Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Those are two things that we're going to look into, the question about his disciples and the question about his teaching. A disciple, if you don't know what that is, you should, because if you profess to know Jesus, you're automatically a disciple of the Lord Jesus, is a believer in Christ. Another commentary pointed out that a disciple is a student or a follower. The English term comes from the Latin disciplos, meaning pupil. And it reflects the Greek sense of the disciple uh, as an adherent to the teachings of a particular teacher or school of thought. So Annas was asking Jesus about those who profess to follow him, those who claim to be adherents to the teachings or the school of thought of Jesus Christ. They most likely asked Jesus about this because of their opposition to what he was teaching the people in the synagogue and in the temples. Which actually, every time Jesus taught something, you know what happened, right? There was always opposition. You know, I would be really discouraged if I was teaching like today and someone always had beef with what I said. You know, that, you know, that's happened throughout the years. I would, you know, teach a sermon. And I remember one time there was a couple people lined up to ask questions about my sermon. And they were already, they had an apologetic already over something that I said. If that happened every Sunday, I'm sorry, I would go back to work. I'd get a job. I wouldn't be able to take it. That happened to Jesus Christ all the time. Every time he was in the synagogue, in the temple, they were lined up. As a matter of fact, I remember one time, uh, I think it was in the synagogue, they actually, it says, you know, surrounded him to disagree, to talk about killing him for what he was teaching. See, those who followed Christ, his disciples would have believed what Jesus taught, which was in direct opposition to those in the synagogues who were hypocritical and lost. It was his teaching that they found actually offense in. His teaching, which is the second thing, his disciples the first, the teaching the second. And one of the things that I was curious about is that Annas isn't asking about his miracles. He's beefing with his teaching. Why was that? Well, I, was, I believe because we're talking about a blind high priest. The miracles that Jesus did was supposed to fulfill Messianic prophecy. It was to show that he was the Messiah, the one promised, the one that Israel should have seen. But again, he was met with opposition by the religious leaders of the synagogue and the temple, even when healing people. I remember the story of the blind man. Remember him in John chapter 9? Dude was blind his whole life and he heals him. Then he goes to get examined, and they're like, who did this? Then afterwards, they wanted to kill the dude who was healed from his blindness just because he was healed by Christ. That's really discouraging. <laughs> it's like, come on, y'all, you know, like. We're no different. And it specifically was asking about his teaching, and it wasn't really to hear about truth. It was to oppose it. It was most likely the teachings Jesus gave at the synagogues and in the temple. In verse 20, Jesus gave him an answer. I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. 
I have said nothing in secret. So Jesus, we know in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, taught throughout all of Galilee, all their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel and healing every disease. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus again went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. Jesus was confronted in the synagogue when he healed the man with the withered hand, which prompted some there to ask him whether it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. That's in Matthew 12, verses 9 through 14, which ends with the Pharisees conspiring against him and wanting, as it says, to destroy him. Jesus openly taught against those who loved the place of honor and the best seats in the synagogues. Matthew 23, 6. So in the temple, we saw how Jesus overturned tables. You remember that? Got fed up with the temple, making it a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer. Jesus in the temple healed the blind and the lame in Matthew 21. And in Matthew 21, 15, it tells us that the religious leaders, you know, were actually indignant over what Jesus did. Healing people and getting very angry. That's kind of very telling of the condition of their hearts. Listen, they, they were hot, as we used to say back day, back in the day. They, you know, I guess y'all would say today they were in their feelings. I'm showing my age right now. <laughs> you know, the condition of their hearts were calloused, unable to see the good. Not only the good, but this was the Messiah promise. Jesus clearly spoke openly and he taught in all the synagogues and even in the temple where the Jews would come together. He did nothing in secret. And what we're seeing in our text today is the result of an unashamed man who loved the Father, this man being God the Son. Jesus was unashamed. So much that he said in verse 21 of our text, why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me and what I said to them. They know what I said. He ain't embarrassed about what he said. He's telling Annas to go to those who heard him. They would confirm that Jesus was, in fact, teaching what he taught in the synagogues and in the temple, which, wait, which they were indignant about. So Jesus was unashamed about what he taught. Listen, I think this is a really good example for us. How would we preach and teach if we knew that suffering and consequences would happen because of what we are preaching and teaching? Would you continue to preach and teach, knowing that ahead of you is trouble? Jesus knew from the very beginning that it would get to this point, yet he preached openly and with boldness as one who had authority, which he did in fact have. After finishing the greatest sermon ever preached, you remember Matthew 5, uh, chapter five uh, chapters 5 and 7, the Beatitudes, in Matthew 7, 28 to 29, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So he preached and he taught, knowing that he would suffer. He said what he said in the temple and in the synagogues with no reservation and with power. That's why I tell people, man, if you're preaching a sermon and you're talking about this book that me and Wayne are going through is just really refreshing. Because how can you preach about the Lord without power? 
without passion, knowing that he's good, how you sit there and be like this, you know, like, no. <laughs> I don't get it. I love Steve, Steve Lawson. To me, he's a great example. He understands that God is worthy. He understands that the word of God has authority. He understands that preaching, actually, God utilizes preaching to set people free from their sin. People can be saved. Right now, today, there could be someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ and is hearing this, and God could be working. You're like this, chilling, like God is like, you know, I'm sorry. And this is not a personality thing. If you're passionate about the Lord, that passion should show itself in your preaching and teaching in your life. You know, some people think that, you know, you have to have it all together to preach or you have to have, you know, schooling. You have to have. No, you just need to be in love. Well, I don't know if I got apologetics right before I hit the street. You just need to be in love. <laughs> Are you in love with Jesus? Are you a worshiper? Do you love him? Because Peter and them weren't the most educated men, but man, they ran into a savior. And then he filled them with his spirit. He preached and he taught knowing that he would suffer. He said what he said in the temple and in the synagogues with no reservation and with power. And it was with that same assurance that led him actually to be struck by one of the officers. Let's read verses 22 through 24. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? If only he knew who he hit. <laughs> Verse 23, Jesus answered him. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? He let him off. Verse 24, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So the questions Jesus was asked had nothing to do with gaining knowledge, but instead was the result of him being unashamed about what he had taught and what he preached. So was there anything wrong with what Jesus taught? And said, absolutely not. We know this. Jesus said, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But they could find no fault because of what he said and what he said about himself, all that being true. Peter really understood this later. In 1 Peter 2, verses 22 through 23, Peter said of the Lord, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What a great example. Jesus taught perfectly without sin and with no deceit in his mouth, yet they decided to bind him as a criminal and strike him because he spoke. This, again, is a good display of what we would have done if we were there ourselves, being the ones who struck him. And it's a display of what people still do with the word of God today. If not for the grace of God, saints, we also would take the things of God and trash them. 
If not for the grace of God, we would have taken the Son of God and accused him of blasphemy. If not for the grace of God, we would have been in the crowds yelling, crucify him also. That's you. That's me. That's who we are apart from the grace of God. We forget that. I remember the song, How Deep the Father's Love. You know that song, right? He says, uh, the song goes, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. We would have been in that crowd yelling crucify him as well while he was dying and purchasing us. If not for the grace of God, we'd be just as guilty. So left to ourselves, we will be no different. We cannot forget that in our text, we are seeing the hardening of the hearts of the people of Israel that happened because that was God's sovereign choice and desire to happen. So the sovereign work of God in hardening hearts, he did that so that the rejection of Jesus would take place. Now, this is where it's making some people uncomfortable about God. Did God harden hearts? Yes. Did he do it so that Jesus would be rejected? Yes. Well, what was the reason? It was to graft in the Gentiles. We forget that. God had an overall plan where he's hardening hearts. We see this in Matthew or Mark chapter 6, verse 52. You know, when it came to the loaves, Jesus spoke of, you know, hardening their hearts, how that was actually prophetic. It was already spoken. John 12, 40, the writer quotes from Isaiah 6, 10, when speaking of the hardening of hearts that was prophesied about. Paul knew about this in Romans eleven twenty five, 25, that their minds were also be hardened. When they read the Old Covenant, it says, a veil remained unlifted, and it was because only Christ could remove that veil. So here was the perfect high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, rejected by a sinful high priest and by those who needed forgiveness themselves, men who had hardened hearts, men blind to the God they professed to love and believe in. And what they needed most was the veil to be taken away. which God allowed in his sovereignty to remain. Now, some people say, well, that's cold. How can God do that? Who are you, O oh man? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God, to tell God what he can do with this clay? So that's one of those where you got to be like, okay, that's out of my league. You're God and I'm not. But thanks be to God that you softened my heart. God has an overall purpose. And I think another thing that I always point out when we run into passages like this, when it talks about the hardening of the hearts and all, is that we live in a society where we vote leaders in. God is not one who was voted in. He didn't ask for your permission to be king. He does what he wants. I've seen people like testify how they had a whole life of suffering and how they were able to still thank God through it and how it was the hand of God for them to suffer. And I'm thinking like who wants to live a life like that? But better to suffer with Christ than without. 
Better to be with Christ and suffer with physical ailments your whole life than to live in the world and live rich and live healthy. Because you're the one who's sick. You're the one who's broke. You're the one who's in need. So, Lord, if it means I live with you with things in my life that constantly cause me grief, better with you than to be in the world. Left alone, saints, we will do exactly what they did here in our text. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, we will do what Peter did, actually, here in our text also, where again Peter denies Jesus for the second and the third time. Our last point, Jesus denied again in verses 25 to 27, Starting in verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man who, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Simon Peter said to him, John 13, 36 to 38, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, when Jesus says truly, truly, you know it's coming. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Here we see what Jesus said would happen again. A passionate Peter who really believed he would lay down his life for Christ, not knowing that laying down our lives for Christ is impossible without first Jesus laying down his life. Peter said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. He also said, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and even to death. <laughs> Sounds like a very passionate Peter. But this passionate Peter was met with a desire to keep his life. And rather than finding life, he lost it. Peter was standing and warming himself and was asked, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with them? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. This is what it looks like to lack the Holy Spirit in our lives. Later, when Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, he does something that would forever change them. He will give them the promised Holy Spirit. John 20, verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And they were given the Holy Spirit then. Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit, which later would then fall on the church to empower the church. Peter puts on display here what we all would do without the Holy Spirit given to us when he denied him. But after giving them the Holy Spirit, Jesus would interact and question Peter. In, verse, in chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, Jesus is revisiting what happened 
with him denying him three times, Jesus said to Simon Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter replied three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, if you love me. And you know what? Peter would. In Acts chapter 4, we're seeing a whole different Peter. Peter and John were arrested by the priest and the captain in Acts chapter 4, and also by the captain in, in the temple and the Sadducees. And it was because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus had resurrected from the dead, openly like the Lord. After preaching and proclaiming and being arrested, many of those who had heard the word and believed, 5,000 people got saved at their preaching. And what is interesting here is that verse 5 of Acts chapter 4, it tells us who would question Peter and John there. Check it. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 4, and we'll keep going on. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Verse 6, check this, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Check it. Look, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people, and now he's talking. He's not warming himself in the fire. He's not afraid. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke publicly, powerfully. That's a whole different Peter. What is that teaching us? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Spirit's work in our lives, we would warm ourselves in the fire. We would easily deny the Lord Jesus Christ. We would easily run from proclaiming the gospel. I'd be the first to run. I'd be the first not to say anything. Have I... Struggled with, you know, sharing the gospel at times. Yes, and it was because I failed to believe in the Holy Spirit who was prompting me to share. Who would give me the words to say. Here he is, Peter. Openly, even after being arrested and threatened. Openly said, rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you, he says, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. That's a different Peter. This is what it looks like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is why we pray before worship. It's why we pray before we do things. Yeah, I know you guys like Jen playing the bass. I love it. But I love when Jim prays for the Lord to use him. I, I love when Claude's here and, and they get together and pray. I love the fact that Claude took time to pray to get the mind of God to play. He's not out to perform. He's out to worship. 
the ladies, when they pray and they get together and they all get together and pray, they want to worship the Lord. We want empowered worship, not carnal worship. I want to walk a Christian life, not a Christian life that has a title without the power of the Spirit. Well, I can't turn away from temptation. I keep falling into sin. Maybe you need to pray to the Holy Spirit to read his word, to know that your sin is grievous to the Lord so that you can run from it. This is what it looks like to have boldness. Where does this boldness come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit given to the church that was given to Peter. Apart from that, we would do no different than Peter in our passage. We would reject the Lord Jesus and everything that he taught concerning himself. I desire for us to be spoken of as a church that has been with Jesus. Not just one that knows doctrine. We do. We're reformed. That's what we do. It's our trade. It's, it's our, you know, that's just embedded into our culture. We, we, we pursue doctrine to glorify the Lord. Listen, but there are people that know doctrine that don't know Jesus. They have all the answers. But I want to be like Peter in Acts chapter 4. In matter of fact, in verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. It didn't stop there. It continues to say, and he recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's what I want for our church. I want people to know that we've been with the Lord. Whether it's pursuing our passion in, in, in his word, which I believe we are. We're pursuing doctrinal truth and purity. But we're not doing that to be right. We're not doing that to have all the answers. We're doing that to know him. To love him. To pursue him. So that we can be changed. Delivered. I want to be a church that knows Jesus. That loves him, that worships. Yeah, like, that's, listen, I can keep going with the systematic theology and all that. Listen, y'all think who haven't come that it's just digging into information. That is far from the truth. We have times of worship, of awe, of just like, wow, you know, this is our God. Amen. This is our God. And we pray, and you can it's just thick, man. The fellowship is thick. We, the Holy Spirit is with us. That's what I, I want our church to be. I want people to say, just like the high priest and everybody there, they've been with the Lord Jesus. So today, saints, uh, I'm asking you to follow the Lord, even if it means that it would take you to where it took him, which was a cross. That's an invitation that he has made to everyone who's a disciple. Matter of fact, he said, you can't be my disciple unless you carry your cross. Elizabeth Elliot said, to be a follower of the crucified Christ means sooner or later a personal encounter with the cross. And the cross always entails loss. Always. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You will lose a lot, but it's of no comparison to what you gain. So I hope you were encouraged today. And if you have not come to the saving truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just here curious or you've never you have never known Jesus genuinely. I would caution you to consider salvation, to consider placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you lived a passive Christian life? Repent. Repent. Have you been casual with prayer, with the study of his word? Repent. I don't know why, you know, I just, when I start reading, I just start getting disinterested. You need to repent of your sin. And if you haven't even thought of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the wrath of God resides in you. God is a holy God. And he demands that you repent of the sin, which is a crime before him. And he's provided his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to what it's called atone, cover your sin. To deliver you from his wrath. He's a compassionate God. And all he's asking you to do is to trust. To repent of your sin. And he will deliver you from all unrighteousness. Listen, I've been saved for now 30 years. 30 years saved. And I can say that God has always been good. Always been gracious. Always been merciful. And if that's you here today, let us pray together. That the Lord will bring his forgiveness and his saving power. And for those of us who are saved, may God stir in our hearts an affection and desire for him. Not being lazy in our worship and in our prayer, but to be diligent. So Lord, we pray today, God, that you would help us. We're here because of your grace and mercy. God, would you stir in the hearts of your people who have your Holy Spirit to be like Peter in Acts 4. To be unashamed. To feed your sheep, to feed your lambs, to tend your sheep. God, would you help us to be about one another so that the world would know that we are your disciples. Help us to love one another. Help us to forgive one another. God, I don't know as far as our church, God, what this building means. You do. We ask, Lord, that you will lead us. You're the great shepherd. You will never leave us astray. And so, God, I pray that all this will be laid into your hands. God, if it be your will, may we go there and minister the gospel also. We pray for Manor Street. God, for those that are struggling in poverty, those who are struggling, God, with effects in society that's causing them to be disenfranchised, God, we pray for them. God, we pray for those, Lord God, that are in that area, that are suffering, God, that have nothing. We pray for Water Street, God, for the prostitution happening in Water Street, God. I pray that our ladies will be empowered to go and minister your word to those in need. Pray for the homeless, God, who have nowhere to go. 
We pray for them, Father. Would you send us? Would you send us to that area empowered by your spirit? We pray for FNM College and even that the west side of the city where the rich are, God. And we pray, God, we know it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And we also pray for them. God, will you deliver them from their autonomy, from their contentment in the world? Would you send us, Lord God, to minister to them as well? May it be your will. Lord, I pray for those here who have not come to saving faith. You're the one who had rescued us from our sin. You can do it again. And we pray for those who have a calloused heart, who have not come to saving faith, that you would invade their hearts. God, that you would deliver them from their sin. Show them who you are in your righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Be with us today as we do communion. God, may you be glorified as we partake of that which celebrates and remembers your body broken and your bloodshed. May you be glorified. Saints, I pray. God, I pray for, I pray for believers here today. God, would you stir in our hearts prayer? Would you stir in our hearts, God, prayer? Would you stir in our hearts worship? Would you stir in our hearts a desire, God, to follow you? Help us.